got two readings today, the first from Matthew 1 and then from Acts 4. Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And then on to Acts 4 reading verses 7 through to 13. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here with you all. Um, on a morning like this, it's obvious that we have lots of new people with us. So um, let me just introduce myself. My name is Ben, and I have the privilege of being a part of the ministry team here. And um, well, I could tell you lots of boring stuff about myself, my son, Noah, and uh, my wife, Alana, was just up here singing. And um, it's been a crazy thing this year to have a son and uh, name him. And that's a large part of what I want to talk to you about today. Thanks, Amy, for already basically preaching my sermon. Um, it's always nice being up here last because everyone else does all the hard stuff for you. Uh, and I often say this at the start of a sermon that I'm really excited to be up here today. Uh, Christmas so easily becomes another thing that we do, another tradition, and it's a good tradition, a fun one, but uh, I really want to remind us today, uh, help us to think, help us reflect on how it's so much more than that. Christmas is actually the answer to some of the biggest questions that we have in this world. Questions like, why are we here? Is there a purpose to our lives? Why is there so much pain everywhere? Where did everything come from? And finally, is there a God? And if there is, what is he like? 
What is God like? And I think all these questions, I think that last one is maybe the most important because I think it's kind of the answer to a lot of the other ones. So today, I want to think about that question with you. These have been the, big, the biggest mysteries of humankind since there's been humans to think. These are the questions that we've asked, and, and again and again, we come back to these questions. So I want to ask you the question today, what do you think God is like? When you think about God, what do you think of? Do you believe that there is something bigger than this physical world, that we're not just flesh and blood, bones and muscles, but we have souls? What does it mean that you have a soul? And different, different cultures have had wildly different answers to these questions. When I was uh, at uni, I did a subject called Myth and the Ancient World. And uh, it was an interesting subject, but I never would have picked it if a friend wasn't in it that I just wanted to go with him. Uh, I learned lots of things in this subject. And if you're a history professional or something, I'm going to get a lot of stuff wrong, but uh, bear with me. Uh, one of the big things that we learned in this subject was what is the Greeks' answer to this question? What did the Greeks say God was like? And maybe you guys all know the Greek culture a little bit well, um, but the Greeks have gods like Zeus and Poseidon and Athena. Uh, Zeus is the god of the sky, and Poseidon's the god of the sea, of the water, and Athena's the god of war and wisdom. And these were the answers that they had to what is the spiritual world like. There were these kind of human superheroes that kind of transcended the physical world but lived off up in the clouds. These gods got angry at each other, they fought, they lied to each other, they were greedy, sometimes they stole things from each other, but this is their best answer. They said that this is what the spiritual world was like. So I wonder what you think the spiritual world is like. And other religions have different answers. Some people say that we're all part of God. Maybe there's an infinite number of gods swirling around this room all around us. Some people might think that there's an evil God in control of this universe. And I want to ask you again the question, what do you personally think God is like? Throughout my life, I think I've seen God in a lot of different ways. Uh, Sometimes I've seen God as a kind of cosmic policeman. There's this faraway distant God who's kind of watching everything I do, watching one little mistake that I make and boom, send some sort of uh, punishment my way. Sometimes I think of God as a cosmic policeman. Sometimes in my life, I've thought of him as a disconnected, oh sorry, a divine yet disconnected watchmaker. Maybe God created the whole world and, and set it up and then he's kind of like just letting the dominoes tip over and he's kind of disconnected and whatever. Not really that interested in how the world's playing out. Do we think of God like that sometimes? Maybe we see God as like this non-judgmental buddy, someone who you can just hang out and chat with and God's not really that interested in what you do or what goes on in your life, but he kind of just wants you to feel good and be happy even if the things that you're doing is going to hurt yourself or hurt someone else. Maybe we think God is, is like a puppeteer. He's really in control of every little thing and, and evil things, really bad things are happening to good people in this world, but he doesn't really include us in why that's happening. Maybe this world's just kind of dark and crazy because God's, I don't know, like a puppeteer. Maybe I think this is a common one. We see God like a, a cosmic vending machine, and this is the last one. Sometimes we see God that we can do the right things and we earn enough credits that we can cash them in later for rewards. I know that's so often how I treat God. And I wonder if you can relate to any of these images. Do you ever see God like any of these things? Because the huge challenge for humanity again and again throughout our world is which one of these is right? Is one of them correct? Is one of these the real image of God? Because our challenge as physical creatures is that we are physical. 
We're physical beings trying to understand the physical, the, sorry, we're physical beings trying to understand the spiritual world. We're trying to understand something bigger than us. Every religious system that's ever existed has, ever, has always told us that if we do the right things, if we earn enough things, if we reach up to God hard enough, then we can learn something about God. Every religious system has taught this except for Christianity. And this is why Christ- Christmas is so exciting, because Christmas is God coming to us. This is, Christmas is the day where the divine, the infinite, becomes finite. The larger than life, the creator enters the creation. Our, our age-old human problem of how can the physical understand the spiritual, God answers. He comes and he tells us who he is through his name. So let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, I mentioned at the start that Noah, my five-month-old, is uh, down the back there. I think hopefully he's sleeping, fingers crossed. And while Alana and I knew that there was going to be a lot of different challenges having a baby, one of the things that we didn't expect to be so challenging was giving him a name. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had this challenge. Uh, Giving someone a name is a huge deal. Everyone is going to call Noah Noah for his entire life. People also have really strong feelings associated with names, right? Some names you really love, some names you don't like so much. And uh, to add to this challenge, Alana and I actually had to agree on one name, (laughs) Alana liked all these kind of cool indie names that were kind of interesting, and I liked these names that were kind of a bit more boring, traditional, that kind of had a deep meaning behind them. But what we both wanted was a name that left a legacy for Noah to live into, a name that meant something, a name that had purpose behind it. And what we see throughout the Bible is we see a lot of people with really strong names. In Genesis, we see Abram, just before he gets his name changed to Abraham. And he gets his name changed because his name reflects the promise that God puts on his life. Abram means high father, but Abraham means father of many. This name now reflects something about who Abraham is. In Matthew 16, the disciple that's known as Simon declares something about Jesus. He says the words, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's a bold thing to say, and Jesus says something kind of weird. Verse 17 in Matthew 16, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's kind of weird that Jesus now says that his name is Peter, right? What, what a weird thing to do. Have you ever said that to someone? I am now going to call you something else. Sometimes we do actually have nicknames like that, right? Because those nicknames reflect something about the person. They tell us something about who that person is. So here Alana and I are thinking, what kind of name can we possibly give to Noah to represent who he is when we don't know who he is? It's a huge challenge, right? And when I read through this story we just read earlier from Matthew, I can imagine Mary and Joseph have kind of a similar challenge. How do we name this child? What do we do? But then when we also look at the passage, it's also obviously radically different, right? So let me just read through it again, and it's up on the screen. This is Matthew 1:18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to be pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Maybe this is just me as a first-time parent, but wow, can you imagine that happening to you? That is crazy already, right? Put yourself in their shoes. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Wow. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Maybe this is, again, me just becoming a parent for the first time this year, but something in this passage has never stood out like it stood out like this time I've read it. The, the angel basically gives them two names. It's like we had Noah and we say, hey, everyone, our baby's name is Noah, but can you guys call him Steve? It's, it's strange, right? It actually seems really weird. Hey, the baby's name is Jesus, but can you call him Emmanuel? What's going on here? And we know that what's going on is that God is revealing something about who he is through his son. He's telling us who he is by what his name is. These names are revealing something to us. Just like Peter becomes the rock, Jesus is, he will save his people from his sins. God with us. I wonder if you've ever stopped and really thought about these names. They're incredible names, beautiful names. Because Jesus literally means to deliver, to save. Emmanuel, we see here, literally means God with us. Can you imagine having that on your life? These names are a huge part of the question that we started off earlier. Who is God? What is he like? Who is God? He is the Savior. Who is God? He is with us. There are a handful of statements, I think, in this world that are as profound as these statements here. But we hear them way too often that they often become dry, right? So let me say it again, and hopefully we can hear it. The God of the universe, the creator, the one who made everything that we see, the all-powerful one chose to come into this world as a baby, helpless, to take on flesh, to live a painful life, a life where he knew he would be betrayed, a life where he would be nailed to a cross in the most horrific way you can possibly imagine to die. And he did all this so that you could be with him. So that you could be with him. He is God with us. He is the Savior. So I want to ask you today, are you feeling excited about this? How do you feel about this news? I read a while ago that this, this news isn't that exciting news unless you feel that you actually need a Savior. You won't be excited about a Savior unless you know how much you need one. So I want to ask you the question, do you know that you need a Savior? Do you feel like you need one? The key verse here that I want to point to now is that first one underlined. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This passage doesn't say that Jesus will save you from other people's sins. It doesn't say that will, he'll bring you comfort worldly. It says that he will save you from your sin. Their sins, their people, the people that accept him. Do you realize that your biggest problem in this world is your own sin? We could talk a lot about sin, but I really want to focus on this little part of it. The Bible talks about this is that this is your biggest problem. 
the, your own bent desires in this world that make you want to be your own God, that stop you from living under the command of our king and actually making you want to go your own way. This passage tells us, though, that Jesus came to restore that, to save us from our sins, our broken ways of living. The most incredible news that we can ever hear is that Jesus gives us this gift of a new life with him, a fresh start. But while the good news of Christmas is good news, it's also offensive in some way. Have you ever felt that this news is offensive to you? And let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, I wonder when the last time in your life you felt offended. Uh, Alana will tell you very quickly that the time I most easily get offended is in the car. Can anyone else relate to me? Maybe it's particularly this Christmas season, but uh, people cutting me off in traffic or cutting in in line, driving dangerously, whatever, whatever it is, gets me so angry. It gets me so offended, so irritated, because it actually subtly says something. When someone cuts in in traffic, it, it subtly says to me that their time is more important than mine. When someone else is driving recklessly on the road, it says that their, their hurry to get somewhere is more important than my safety. It's saying to us that they're more important to us. Do you ever feel that on the road? It's a hard thing to actually acknowledge that, yes, I'm feeling, that's why I'm feeling that. But that's what's going on, right? When we get angry most of the time, it's because someone's offended us, because someone's telling us that we're not worth as much as they are. And when I stop and think about this and, and how Christmas is similarly offensive, it's, it's kind of the same, but it's also kind of different. It, this feels offensive because when Jesus comes to save us, we're not the Savior. Can you accept that? Can you accept that you're not the Savior of your own life? Jesus tells us that we're not the Savior because he knows that we can't be the Savior. Really simply. However, what he does is he redefines what's important. For me, I want to be the Savior because I want to be the most important. I want to be the Savior because being the Savior is the most important role there is. But Jesus redefines what is important. He says that we are not important because of what we can do. We're important because of what has been done for us. Hear that again. We're not important because of what we can do. We're important because of what has been done for us. I wonder how often you get caught up in this culture's paradigm that you are important because you're good-looking or successful or wealthy or have a good job or whatever. This culture's idea that sex, money, and power are the things that are going to bring you joy and satisfaction is so empty. I want to tell you again today that Christmas is the end of you trying to prove yourself, the end of you having to buy into this culture's rat race system of impressing everyone around you constantly. Jesus came into this world and spent time with people that were broken. In Luke 19, we see Jesus spending time with a tax collector, the lowest of the low of the social standard, and he says to him that he came to seek and save the lost. Have you heard that news, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost? And the offensive thing in all this is it hurts to feel like someone says that you're lost. Can you admit that you're lost? Can you hear that? It takes humility, I think, to see yourself clearly, to accept that there's brokenness inside you, that you need a savior, that you need Jesus. Because Jesus comes and he's not passive, he actually requires something from us. 
Have you ever felt that, that Jesus requires something from you? And let me explain what I mean by that in this last passage that was shared earlier. It's in Acts 4, and here it is on the screen again. I just want to look at these last couple of verses. And, and Peter, and, uh, Peter and John are here before the Jewish authorities because they've angered them, because they've offended them. They have done something. They've communicated the message of Christmas, and it's annoyed them. So this is what Peter and John say. I think specifically Peter says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. That's pretty offensive. Which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. This passage shows us that there's an option. You have a choice to make here today. You can either choose to reject Jesus, or he can be the name under, he can be the no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. Which one is he to you? The Bible wants us to know that there are no other options. There are no other names that will save, no other pathways to satisfaction, to eternal life. Jesus is the only way. And like I said earlier, there's one thing you need to do. You need to not reject him. You need to be willing to let him in. And that takes humility. You need to be able to acknowledge that you lack something, that you need something from him. And that is a big step. That is hard to do. But this passage also gives us this beautiful picture in that last verse of what happens when we do. I love this verse so much. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. This here is Simon, the one that was changed to Peter. And he is bold. He is full of courage. He is willing to tell the truth. He's willing to say something that is hard to hear. And he is willing to do that because he's filled with courage. He's filled with excitement in who Jesus is, what Jesus has done in his life. He doesn't need the approval of the Jewish authorities. He's not scared of them. I wonder in your life, who are you scared of? Who do you feel nervous around? Are you in this paradigm where you don't feel comfortable? Because these guys obviously feel deeply comfortable in knowing who they are in Jesus. They're they're willing to do and say crazy things. Do you want that kind of life? Do you want to be full of radical courage? Because all you need to do today is confess with your mouth and accept with, confess with your mouth and accept with your heart. If you don't know what that looks like, I'd love to have a chat with you or one of the pastors here would or whoever brought you here today. It's one of the most exciting things that we can do to accept Jesus. So let me just summarize before I wrap up and from where we started. We started off with these questions here. Why are we here? Is there a purpose to our lives? Knowing Jesus is the Savior and knowing that he is Emmanuel, God with us, we know that God created us to be with him, to be in relationship with him. The answer to this question is that God wants to enjoy relationship with you. Wow. Why is there so much pain everywhere? This is such a huge question because it makes us think two things. It makes us think that God either doesn't care or God isn't powerful enough to stop the pain. But in Jesus, we see really clearly that he is powerful and that he loves us. 
In Jesus, we see that the almighty God incarnates himself into flesh. That is powerful, and he does it for our saving. He cares about you, and he is powerful. There's still a question there, but it can't be those two big things, right? Where did everything come from? Is there a God, and what is he like? The, inca- the, the God, the creator, comes and shows us what he is like. Even though he is incomprehensibly bigger than us, he comes in a way that we can understand. Instead of remaining unknowable, he comes to us and explains who he is by telling us that he is Jesus, the Savior, and Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is God telling us who he is. So this Christmas, I hope that you would find great joy and comfort and hope in knowing these two simple truths. These two profound, solid truths. That not only did Jesus come to us when we couldn't go to him, but he came to save us. That you need to know, are you willing to accept it? Are you willing to admit that your biggest problem isn't the other stuff in your world, but it's the own brokenness inside you? Are you willing to admit that you need help? Are you willing to humble yourself? And maybe today you're sitting here feeling confused. Uh, Christianity is a big thing, and sometimes it's complicated. Sometimes we get caught up in secondary stuff, and, and I know that I've felt that before. Right today, right here, this is the core and simple message of Christianity. Who is God in your life? Who is the Savior? Are you going to try to keep being the Savior, or are you willing to actually accept that God is God? that he is the only one that can save you, that there is no other name under heaven. Regardless of all the extra, less important bits, are you willing to accept this simple truth? So as the band comes up, let me just pray for us. God, I want to thank you for who you are. Even though we'll never understand you in your fullness, I want to thank you that you reveal who you are through Christmas that we can know you, to enjoy you. Thank you for showing us about who you are in your name, that you are a savior, that you wanna be with us. Amen.